jump right into our message today. We're going to be time efficient and get us in and out of here. But we're continuing in The Great Escape, right? We've been in The Great Escape. This is the book of Exodus. We have been, this is our 72nd message in the book of Exodus. And we are, all, we are finishing Exodus 34 today. Yes! No one else is excited but me, but I'm excited. We have been working through this book, and it has been phenomenal what God has done in showing us things right on time out of this book of Exodus. God's placed it in our lives at this time. But last week, As we continue in chapter 34, the Lord made a transition to giving Moses direction about what the people should be looking out for and simply just giving them warnings. And what we see is he transitioned from what they're going to be facing and the warnings of the traps that would be ahead of them, actually shifting over to to personal accountability, started giving them instructions on how they should live in our message last week, which is instructions and righteousness. This morning, uh, we're going to finish Exodus 34. We're going to be meeting with God up on Mount Sinai. We're going to be there as he receives the Ten Commandments for the second time. We're going to be there as he gathers them up and God's going to give him some instructions to go down and share with him what God's what God has instructed him of and, and some 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 what the what the Israelites needed. But what's going to be interesting is there'll be a, phys, a physical manifestation of his time with God as he comes down in this message this morning, which is called shine with an exclamation point. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much, God, for the gift of the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit that dwells within us, Lord, that helps us to discern and understand it. And God, I know that you have spoken to me throughout the week as I studied over the scripture and prayed over the scripture. And Lord, I would ask now that you would speak through me. Lord, that the words that I would share would not be the ones that I would choose, but the very ones that you would give me. God, remove the human element that we might hear from you, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear, God, that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, to get us caught up, for those of you that were not here last week or maybe did not hear what all went on, but basically what happened was Moses made that shift, as we said. He went out of the aspect of just giving warnings to shifting into instructions. And what we see is the fact that God understands humanity very, very well. He understands their weaknesses. He understands their strengths. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, you know what? Be leery of these things as you go into this new land, this Canaan that's been prepared for you, because guess what? There's pagan cultures there. And those pagan cultures, what I need you to be wary of is the fact that there's going to be idolatry. Idolatry is something that he knows humanity has have a weakness to. And we have a tendency to want to worship things or worship even people. So what he's saying, look, you need to be careful of that because it's going to draw you away from me. Then at the same time, he also talked about them, about, uh, about have giving them instruction on how they could succeed and how to be uh, productive and how they could just simply move forward in their lives for him. The question is, as Moses comes down here, the question we have to ask is, are they going to listen? Right? Do they have ears to hear? And that's the problem that so many of us many times have. We can maybe hear something, we may hear it, but we don't necessarily listen to it. Like when we call our kids and tell them it's time for dinner, and then 20 minutes later, where are they? Well, they, they, had, they said, yes, mom, when you yelled dinner time. They just didn't listen to what you said. They simply heard us. So what we find here is the Israelites are a picture very much like us. And what happens, they have a problem listening as well. So we're going to see how things unfold here in Exodus 34, verse 28. Verse 28, so we're going to start 28 through 35. Verse 28 says this, And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables of the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. And what I want us to pay attention to is understand here, that we look at the period of time that he's there. It says 40 days and 40 nights. And that's interesting because the number 40 shows up in the Bible 145 different times. And the number 40 has a very specific meaning. And what we're going to focus on today is really the 40 days and 40 nights. That shows up 11 times, specifically written exactly like that, again and again, 
And again, what we find is that if we have something, there's a, something they call the law of first mention, where something first shows up in the scripture. If we go to the law of first mention with that 40 days and 40 nights, we find it in Genesis chapter 7, verse number 4. To give you a little bit of detail, what we're going to be, this is Noah and the ark, right? And what we see is Christ is pictured in the ark. Because guess what? In order to miss out on the destruction, the wrath of God, you had to be inside of the ark, right? So guess what? In order to miss the wrath of God, guess what we need to be in Christ, right? That's who we are as Christians. So we look here in Genesis 7, verse 4, it says, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made, this is God creates life. Remember, it says here, I, that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And just as a side note, understand, God creates life, and guess what? He's the only one that has the right to destroy life. It's kind of like this. If we go in, and let's say we get out Legos, right? And we all get our Legos out. And let's say I build me a sweet Lego fort, man. I get that bad boy all just the way I want it. And I leave the room, and you walk in, and you just go, boom, and just kick it across the room, and just a million pieces. That's not cool, man. But can I kick it and destroy it? Yeah, I built it. I can smash it. It's mine. I created it. I get to destroy it. You have no right to come and destroy what I created. And that's what we need to understand. That's just a little side note, a little something for us to think about. Exodus, and then Genesis 7, verse 12, it says this, And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Right? We see that when he entered into the ark, he was supposed to wait that seven days, that time that God gave him. And then there was a forty-day time period. And what we'll find is this aspect of deliverance, right? It's in Jesus being pictured there with Moses in this picture here in Exodus 24, 18. Moses went into the midst of the cloud. And this is the first time that he goes up, right? This is the very first time when he goes up on the mountains, he's going to receive the Ten Commandments that first time. And when he goes up there, remember Moses is a picture of Christ. He is a picture of the deliverer bringing his people out of the land. And it says here, uh, Moses, verse 24, 18, it says, And Moses went up in the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. So the first time he went up on Mount Sinai, he received the Ten Commandments. He comes down after that 40 days and 40 nights. And then what we find is here, he goes up a second time, right? He's going up to receive them a second time. But what's interesting is we're studying this. In Deuteronomy, we get a lot more detail of exactly what happened the second time, right? We don't get a lot of detail here. It's really just one verse. But in Deuteronomy chapter number 9, it says this, Deuter- Deuteronomy 9.9, 9, it says, When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord had made with you, when I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights, I neither did eat bread nor drink water. Then verse 11, Deuteronomy 9.11, he says, And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. Then verse 18, he says this, And I fell down before the Lord. Now we get some additional information here. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. Remember he did that last time. He was an intercessor that time when he fell down before God and the first time on the mountain. But this time he does it again. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which he sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He says, look, you know what? There was another confrontation here. I had to go and intercede for you yet again. Deuteronomy 9.25, he says this, Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Oh, my goodness. So now we find out the fact that there was a, there was a, a God was, was very distraught with the, with the Israelites, and we find that he's interceding for them. Deuteronomy 10.10, 10, he says, And I stayed in the mount according to the first time, just like I did the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. So we see that he interceded yet again for them. These details that we learn here in this 40-day time window is the fact that he is literally putting himself on the line, just exactly another picture of Christ putting himself on the line for the people. Then we see it again. 40 days and 40 nights. We see it with Elijah, right? Elijah has simply called, remember he's called down fire from heaven? 
God's destroyed the altar. Well, then things kind of go sideways. And Jezebel, who's the queen of the land, she's after him. And he's like, man, he's, I'm out of here. So he ends up going out in the desert. And he finds himself in the middle of nowhere. And he's dying. He's literally, he says, look, he calls, calls up behind a tree. And he says, God, just let me die right here. I'm ready to be done. But God, you know what happens? God sustains him. God sends miraculous provision for him before he's going to be going up into Mount Horeb. It's in preparation. So here in 1 Kings 19, 8, he says, and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Same dependence upon God we see here that Moses had. His dependence was upon the Lord for that 40 days. And then, finally, we see in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, we see the only New Testament reference of 40 days and 40 nights. And it is, guess who? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? He is in the wilderness in preparation for to be tempted of the devil. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Then was Jesus led up of the, of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the, tempted, when the tempter came to him, and he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What we see is this is the very beginning, the very, very, very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. But there's been a 40-day time period. What we find through all these 40 days and 40 nights is they are preparatory, right? It's a time of testing. It's a time of trial and preparation to be used of God. It's again and again. Again, that's the picture that we hear. So we see this preparation in Noah as he's in the ark with the rain. Uh, We see it with Moses communing with the Lord on the mountain. We see with Elijah in the wilderness, and we see Jesus fasting in the wilderness. And we notice here that Moses didn't eat or drink the entire time, 40 days, right? Now, that is crazy because guess what? The average person, yes, could someone live for 40 days without food? There have been people that have done it. Yes, it is an extreme, extreme, extreme limit of what the human body can do. But you can't go more than three or four days without water. You will die, right? But it says here that he neither eats eats bread or drinks water for 40 days, 40 days, right? So that is a supernatural event. What this tells us is that Moses, while he's on the mountain, guess what? He is completely dependent upon God. Completely. I mean spiritually, absolutely, but physically. He is committed to this time, and God is his sustenance. God's taking care of him. And what's interesting is we find, remember, when Moses, whenever he went out into the wilderness after he left Egypt that first time, how many years was he out in the wilderness as a shepherd? 40 years, right? So we see that number 40. He was in preparation, in testing. Then what happens? How long are they going to be in the wilderness now that they're going to be out on their way to the promised land? 40 years. Again, we see, again, another picture of that preparation. What it is and what we see in Moses is the fact that, guess what? This time of trial, it's about getting totally dependent upon God. That's the desire. That's God's desire for you and I is to be totally dependent upon him. Because guess what? You and I, we're in our own wilderness, right? All of us. You're in this life. However long you're here, this is your wilderness. The question is, are you going to be dependent upon God or are you going to trust in yourself? That's, the, that's when it comes down to it. That's what it's all about. Will we be dependent upon him? Isaiah 41, 13 says this, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Look, dependent upon him. Psalm 18, 2 says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my, my high tower. Psalm, 30, Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. The, the righteous cry, man, God's children, they cry to God. It says, and the Lord heareth and deliver them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Man, how comforting is that? How much have ever been broken hearted before? Man, talk about being in a, a place of being in such desolation, 
such darkness. And the man, the devil will prey on you in those dark times of darkness. He will prey upon you. And God says, hey, you know what? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He says, hey, you know what? When you feel like he's not there, guess what? He's right there. Just turn and look. Turn and feel him. And he says, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Man, those that are humbled before him. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Man, we, as we try to do right, guess what? We're going to be underneath the gun, man. We're going to be dealing with adversity in this life. But look at the last part. But the Lord delivereth him out of, out of them all. Out of them all. Look, we need not be overwhelmed. We need not to be fearful because guess what? God's going to deliver us out of them all. If you're a child of God, man, he's walking with you through every step of this life. No matter how dark the valley you may be, God is with you. And it comes down to this. Are we walking with him through with the, with the, Are we walking with him through our trials in dependence upon him or are we walking in dependence of ourselves and our own strength? The culture tells us, hey, be independent, right? Be strong. It's all about self, man. I got this, right? People say that's a phrase, people love you. I got this. That is completely anti-Bible. You don't got this. <laughs> that's not good English, but you don't got this. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you don't. We don't. You don't have a chance against the enemy of this, of this world, man. Amen. The Apostle Paul, man, who seemed to be in perpetual trial. I mean, his life was a trial after trial after trial after trial. What he does, he instructs us on what you do. He says, it's the key to success in tribulation. Check this out, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. This is God speaking. For my strength is made perfect in strength. No, in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Dependence is the key to real strength. You want to stand strong, God? Stand in the power of God, not your own flesh. The book of Hebrews, the author writes writes it this way, in Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 34. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah and David and and also Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, man, they wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Notice this, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. These men accomplished the impossible because guess what? They were dependent upon God and not themselves. They were weak Verse 28 continues in the very back of that verse. It says this, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. It says he wrote upon the tables. Now understand, there's a lot of people that teach that that's Moses that writes the second set of of commandments. If you go to the Jewish, the, the, the Jews, their faith says that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. God used him to write them. But we're going to see what the Bible says about that. Exodus 34, 1, God made a promise back there. He said, and the Lord said unto Moses, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables, right? He always keeps his word. The words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. In Deuteronomy 10, verses 1 through 4, as, as we see this, Moses telling us, he says, And at that time the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and come up, come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. And I will write on the tables of the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. I love how he always points that out to him. Remember you broke those. <laughs> thou, thou shalt put them in the ark. And I made an ark of shittim wood and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first and went unto the mountain, having the two tables in mine hand. 
Verse number four, and he wrote on the tables. Notice the pronouns. He wrote on the tables according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spoke unto you in the mount out of the midst of fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them unto me. Right? It's clear these were written by God by him. What happened was God was telling Moses to pin down the covenant, all the things that he said through verses 1 through 27. That's what he's saying. You need to write these things down so you can tell people all the directions and instructions, but the Ten Commandments are going to be written by me. Verse 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, that when he came down from the Mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. That word shone talks about the fact that his face gave off light. He was literally glowing, right? Moses has been drawing on all of his nourishment. Understand, has been coming specifically. His sustenance, his survival has been 100% for 40 days and 40 nights dependent upon God. A picture of complete and utter Dependence. No food, no water, no nothing. Now, a strange question for it. Does anybody know why a flamingo is pink? All right? Yeah, because understand, now, I didn't know this. I wrote, I wrote down some information. Just so if you want the details, I've written it down. You all seem to all know it, but I didn't know it, so we're just going to act like y'all don't know it either. Um, so, when these, when that, what happens? A flamingo's favorite food are these things called brine shrimp. They like larvae and blue green algae. And there's something in there called a carotenoid, right? That carotenoid is like a pigment. And what happens is they eat this stuff, and as they eat it, it absorbs into the fat of their liver, and then it works its way into their skin and their feathers and all this other stuff because they're gray, right? They're actually a gray bird. And what you find is over time, they will change from this gray into this vibrant pink, right? So what they consume directly affects the way they appear, right? And we've just been looking at Moses. What's he been living off of? God, right? Man, he's been feeding on God. He's been absorbing God. He's been his food. He's been his water. He's been everything, right? He is now, just like the flamingo, he's now reflecting what he's been consuming, right? Wow. Isn't that a cool thing? Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Oh, man. And you see, the whole point is, that's exactly, see, God's, God's, God's glory is pouring out of him. Mm-hmm. Just imagine, if we, right, we took 40 days, and let's say we, mm. we consumed, God, we made him. Everything we brought in, right? That was our sustenance. And we totally focused it, man. I mean, you totally gave it. You said, look, no social media, no TV, no books outside of this, no video games, no YouTube, no nothing, man. All those things that were those distractions that I used to focus on, I used to look at, and I used to put in my mind. What if I took all that stuff and I said, you know what? All that time that I used to waste, I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to let God feed me out of his word. And you did it every day for 40 days straight, Can you imagine what would it be like? What would our life be like? What difference would there be after 40 days of concentrated consumption, sumptuously feeding on God's Word? How would it affect us? Would it change our appearance? Philippians 2.15 says this, That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Here we are in the midst of the darkness, among whom ye shine as lights, in the world. He's saying, hey man, you'll be just like Moses. You'll shine in the darkness. How about our attitude? Colossians 3.12 says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Who would we be? How about our countenance? 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How about our speech? Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace 
unto the hearers. Man, we changed our speech. How about our patience? Romans 8, 25. But if we hope for that we see not, man, we do with patience wait for it. You know what? We're willing to wait. Our compassion, Ephesians 4, 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And then what about our forgiveness? What if our forgiveness was like God's? Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, also do ye. He would change every part of who we are, utterly and completely. The question is, why don't we do it? Right? Why aren't we all the exemplary example, right? It's the same reason we're not all at 4% body fat. Right? It's the same reason we're not all cut all to pieces, man. Because guess what? There's some issues. We have got to deal with some stuff. Because guess what my flesh loves? Yummy goodies. It loves chips. I'm not the only one. Y'all are like, "Mm, really? That's a terrible thing to hear. Mm, I had no idea you like snacks. Right. We all do, man. Cookies, whatever it is, right? So we've got to deny ourselves those fleshly things and deny our flesh, which wants to be fed this stuff, in order to have that kind of a result. Then we also have to, what do we have? We have to go to the gym. We've got to put in hard work, right? So we've got to put in hard work, and we've got to deny our flesh. Woo, those sound wonderful, don't they? The idea of denying our flesh and doing hard work, guess what? It doesn't appeal to the average person. So guess what an average person gets? Average results. Absolutely. Average results. And when we apply that to our Christianity, right? Our Christianity, our service to our Savior. How do we feel about being average? I would hate to tell you, unfortunately, based upon the landscape of Christianity today as a whole, people are just fine with it. They have no problem. They have no problem carrying the name Christian, right, but not carrying the banner of Christ. It's a totally different thing. They're not willing to follow him. And see, and that's why... That's why I want you to understand this word, man. That's why this is so important. That's why it has to take a priority in our life. Because I'm not okay with being average, and I don't want you to be okay with being average. I want you to, to press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wants us to be more, right? He deserves our very best, yet we want to say, yeah, I'm good being average. I'll just be like everybody else. As long as I'm not too low, and as long as I'm not too high, I, I think the middle's just fine. And it's a sad thing because he deserves so much more from us. Listen to this. Paul describes this is the Laodicean church age. This is the age that you and I are in right now. If you want to see who we are, this is the church age. It's talked about in the book of Revelation, and it's talking about the different ages. This is the final one. It starts in 1901, and we're in it right now. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4. Here's the description that Paul gives. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It means they don't want real teaching. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching does not convict you. Preaching convicts you. Preaching is confrontive. Preaching makes you think about yourself. It steps on your toes. You can go in teaching, and you can fill yourself with knowledge, and you can become puffed up with knowledge, and you can feel better and more superior than everyone around you because you're a biblical scholar. Problem is, it doesn't work into your life doesn't change who you are. It doesn't affect how you impact the people around you. It doesn't affect how you treat your family. But preaching uses God's word to convict our hearts and make change in our life. And this is what it's saying is, you know what? They don't want preachers. They want teachers having itching ears. 
That means scratch me right where I, oh yes, that's the spot, oh yeah. That's what they want. Just make me feel good. Give me what I want. Listen to this. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. They don't even want to hear it. And shall be turned unto fables. You know what? They don't want the truth. They would much rather have stories. You just tell me a bunch of stories. Entertain me while I'm in church. And if I leave there, man, that was a lot of fun. Wasn't that great? Let's go get some lunch. Your toes aren't stepped on. You feel exactly the same way when you walked in the door, except you've checked your Christian box and you're good to go. And now you can leave. And next week you come back in. Man, look at me. I'm a good Christian. I'm doing my job. And that's not what God called us to do, man. It's not. And what did Paul? uh, Paul exhorted Timothy when he said, this is the problem in three and four. In verse two, he gave him a challenge. He said, this is how you deal with it. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, that means convict, man, that means bring conviction. He says rebuke, that means confront. He says exhort, that means challenge. He says with all long suffering, he says you do it with love, compassionately. You challenge people. And he says in doctrine, you do it with biblical teaching. You use the word of God to challenge people on where they stand and help them to do better. And so if we look at this and we go, you know, my answer to that, if I'm, if I'm good with being average and I say, no, I'm not average. I don't want to be average. Well, then we have to apply 2 Timothy 2.15. That by it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, man. Study. That takes work. Study. Study to show thyself approved unto, unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means that the word doesn't get twisted and turned when people can't come up and tell you something that's false and you not recognize it. You can see it for what it is and you know truth when you see it. God will help you to see it. He'll reveal the truth to you because he does not want us to be blind. He wants to have his eyes wide open. That's why he kept seeing again, again, again. He says, he says, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. He says, I'm speaking truth. Just listen. But again, again, he has to beg them because guess what? They're deaf. They're blind. They're not willing to hear. And if we will do this, right? If we will do this, if we did what it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, and we would find our sustenance in the word of God, guess what? We will shine like never before. You will impact this world like never before, right? And the whole thing is, if it's just a matter of whether or not we'll do it, right? God sets us up and gives us exactly what we need. He says, you know what, and think about this. If people saw us coming from our 40 days of communion with God, and they saw us in the midst of the rest of the world, would we look different? Yeah, we would, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we stand out? Wouldn't there be something about us? We would not fit in. Titus 2.14 says this, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Guess what? You and I are supposed to not stand. We're supposed to stand out in the crowd. We should be peculiar. There should be something about us that does not look like everyone else. Our lives, guess what? They'll shine the light of Christ into this world. We'll be just like Moses, man. We will have shown Now, how does the world react to that light? Verse 30, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh. They are not want to come close. They're scared. Now, isn't it sad? Isn't it sad? Right? Look at their reaction. And this is not an unusual reaction, I want you to know. This is the way many times in the Christian circles, people that you know that are Christians, Guess what? This reaction, there'll be some folks, yeah, there'll be some that will encourage you, but not the majority. Sadly, what will happen many times, unfortunately, the majority of people, they'll try to either discourage us or they'll actually ridicule us, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing, but it happens. 
They'll say things like this. Man, you don't want to burn yourself out, brother. Pace yourself, man. Don't, don't get too into this God thing. I, mean, I understand you, you love him and stuff like that, but I mean, let's, let's be reasonable. You know what I'm saying? Just, just, just tone it down a little bit, can you, brother? You know what? Hey, hey, hey everything in, in moderation, right? Everything in moderation. Let's just figure out a way to, to make it work, right? The ridicule. They'll ridicule us for our stand on biblical matters. Things, matters of morality, perhaps, right? And they'll point out and say, you know, hey, man, why are you so intolerant? Why are you this? Why are you that? And because we try to follow God and simply do exactly what Jesus says, they think that we're being unreasonable. Sad. And those are Christians, right? Sad, sad, sad. But guess what? We're trying to follow Jesus, and isn't that what he called us to do? Again and again and again, what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Deny yourself and follow me again and again and again. The reason why Christians react that way is because, guess what? They're okay being average, right? They're okay being average. That carrying, you know, the name Christian and not carrying the Christian banner or the Christ, the banner of Christ, they have no problem with that because they're Laodiceans. But guess what? So are we. <laughs> We're all in the same church age. The same vulnerabilities that they have to be drawn to sin, so do we. The same vulnerability to be, to be complacent, so do we. The same distractions, so do we. We have all the same stuff. The problem is some people will fall prey to it and other people will rise above it. We don't have to be a Laodicean. You can be a, a, a church-age saint in the midst of people that are not. You can stand for right when other people don't. But listen to this. Look what Jesus is telling us in this Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto, himself, unto his disciples, If any man will come up for me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, right? Follow me. Are we going to follow? And the reason the lost world is afraid of us, or, I mean, can have a negative reaction to us, a, a hateful reaction to us, a reaction to that light. This is why they react to that light. Jesus explains it to us in John three nineteen and 20. He says, and this is Jesus. He says, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, right? This is the light of Christ. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Listen to that. It says, neither cometh to light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Remember what reproved means? Convict. People love to stay awake because you know what? I don't want to be under conviction. I, don't want, I want to understand. In my heart of hearts, I know what I'm doing is wrong. But as long as nobody points it out, I can just sell myself on the fact that it's not that bad. But what if I sit down and somebody points it out to me and they say, this is wrong, and I knew it was wrong already? Oh, now I've got conviction, and I don't want that. That's an uncomfortable thing. You know what? I'm just going to resist this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make fun of it. I'm going to ridicule it. I'm going to point fingers at it. And you know what? I'm going to make them feel bad. I'm going to point them out and tell them that they're actually hateful because of that ridiculous stand that they take. God knows their hearts, and they know God knows their hearts. Verse 31. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had, been, had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. He put a cover, right? Because the shining, the shone, or the shining of his face, it was making them nervous. They were scared. How sad is it that they weren't excited by this? That they weren't envious of this? Moses, man, look at you, dude. You've been so close to God, your face is glowing, man. Do you not see that? Dude, check it out. Moses is glowing, man. He's been all up in God's business. They've been so close, man. Look at it. 
Holy dude, that's awesome, man. That's amazing. No. They're like, oh, yeah, hey, hey, that's too much, man. That's too much. They didn't want anything to do with it. Amazingly. And guess what? You're going to have friends that are just like that. You're on fire for the Lord, man. And you spend time with them, and they're like, whoa, 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 hey, can you, can you tone it down a little bit, brother? It doesn't have to be Jesus everything. I mean, I know you're excited about the guy and all stuff, and he did some good things, but I mean, let's watch, let's talk about the game. Can we focus on something else, right? And what will happen is we'll have to tone down our Christianity to make them feel comfortable. We'll put a, a veil over the light so that they don't feel uncomfortable. How sad is that? And I'm telling you, I think Moses is absolutely wrong here. Absolutely wrong. They don't need less of God in this moment. They need more of God. He's been gone 40 days. He comes back shining the light of Christ, and he covers it to make them feel comfortable, right? How in the world are we going to impact this world, Christian or otherwise, if we don't shine? How in the world are they going to see a difference in us? Listen to how Jesus describes it in John, in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Speaking to his disciples, he said this, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a veil, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. He said the light has a purpose. It's to light things, not to be covered. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. God's heart, God's instructions are to shine. That's what he's saying. You need to shine. Moses knew he was wrong, and I'm going to show you. I'll prove to you how he knows. Verse 34, but when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, guess what he did? He took off the veil until he came out, and he came out and spake on the children of Israel that she had commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, and the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak with him. Right? He covers it again. Appeasing the people to make them feel comfortable, right? Not about making them feel uncomfortable. That's someone who reads the word of God and is supposed to preach a message and goes, you know what? You know what? This might step on some toes. You know what? I'll just skip over that. I'm not going to address that issue. You know what? Or I know someone who's in sin. And I, you know, I'm, not, I'm just, you know what? Let's just pray that God works it out. I'm not going to address it. God, you, if you love somebody, you confront them. If you know someone is, you know somebody's wrong in their life, you don't do it because you want to hurt them. You don't do it because you just want to bring correction. You do it because you care about them. Our whole goal is to draw people to the Lord. And if Moses really loves them, he should say, hey, you know what? Get over it, guys. Check it out. This, <laughs> this is God's glory, man. This is God's glory. You can have it too. There's nothing special about me. All that was happened to me is I went and all I did was eat and drink God. <laughs> and I submit to you that people are more impressed by what they see in our lives than what they hear out of our mouths. Because Moses' concern was that there was a distraction. I want them to hear what I'm saying. I just, they just need to hear this. This is important. And if I need to cover it up just to get them to listen, well, then I guess it's okay. That's, I'm sure, how he justified it in his mind. But we know as we studied the Israelites, they didn't listen. They didn't hear. They're going to be falling right into sin in no time. So it doesn't have the impact. And so many times we think that our words are what people need, and they need our life. Our life. Not say I'm a Christian, but live it, be it, 
truly follow Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. Oh, yeah? If I asked your mom and you were a child, are you obedient? Would they say, oh, yes, they're a follower of Christ. Because guess what? If you're disobedient to your parent, you cannot be obedient to God. Right? It's so, there's so many issues in our life. And we go, you know what? Hey, I'm at my job. And you know, I talk junk about my boss. Guess what? If you're not submitted to your boss, this person God put in place, Guess what? You cannot follow God if you're not following your boss. If a wife's not submitting to her husband, allowing him to lead the family, guess what? She's not submitting. She's not following God. God has a purpose and a plan and a system for everything to function as he commands. And if we'll do it his way, guess what? We can follow him and we can shine the light of Christ. Or we can say, you know what? I'll just make it fit my life. I want my theology to fit my life instead of my life fit my theology. That's not the way it works, but that's the way the world works. The world wants to take God and put him into a box that fits the way they want him to fit so they can put him on a shelf and say, you know what, that's a part of me. Instead of saying, you know what, the shelf is God. The shelf is God. I'm just, I'm just a little piece of his plan. Amen. As Christians, we have access to the light. We have access to the light. We can feed upon it. We can fill ourselves with it. You can find all the questions you have. You can find answers in the Word of God. So the question is, why aren't we shining? Why? Well, maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of ridicule. Maybe we're afraid to stand out. Maybe we don't want to be that above average one that people are going to see. We're good just blending in. Maybe we're lazy. We're that one that doesn't want to go to the gym. Don't want to put in the work. Just good being who I am. And the last one. Maybe we're ashamed. Maybe we're ashamed. Paul said, I am not ashamed. The gospel of Christ. And I would challenge you to say this. Look, look, if you're not ashamed, I know some of you are sitting there going, man, I'm not ashamed. And in your head, you're going, I'm not ashamed, man. I'll stand for God. Then shine, man. Shine. Shine. That's what God's called us to do. Do exactly what Moses did. Get into this word. Let it change your heart. Let it change your life. Apply it in your life and make an impact on this world. Because guess what? It's dark, dark, dark. Amen. It's full of darkness. And there are people that are hopeless. And right now, there's riots take place across our country. And hatred reigns. And, and, and all kinds of division takes place. It's darker than ever. And guess what they need? They need light. And that's Amen. us. Amen. That's us. So my challenge to you is shine. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, you know my heart, Lord, and you know the purpose of this message, Father. I know you spoke to me about it. And, I pray that it uh, didn't challenge us, me. Um, but Lord, I pray to challenge us, Father, that we will step up and that, Lord, we will stand out. And that, Father, we will feed ourselves in the Word. And that, Lord, you will use it to help us to grow, to grow closer to you, to look more like you, to glow the light of Christ into this world. And, Lord, truly let us shine. Because, Father, it is a dark time in our world. It's a dark time in our country. But people in darkness, what are they desperately looking for? They're looking for light. God, you've called us to shine. And I pray that, Lord, you'll help us to do just that. If you're here today and you say, you know what? But God spoke to my heart and I need to do more. Praise God. 
But you know, if you're here today or you're online, wherever you are, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you say, you know what, I do not know. I, I know about God. I believe in God. And it's wonderful that you believe in God. And I praise the Lord that you believe in him. But guess what? That will not save your soul. Believing in God does not change your eternity. Submitting your will to God will change your eternity. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world. Every single solitary person who's ever lived, he died for them. He died for you. And if you're here today, you're online, wherever you are, and you say, you know what? If I were to die today, I do not know that I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I've been to church and I've read the Bible, but you know what? I can't tell you I have peace in my heart that I know that if this is my last day, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know. That's the same question was asked to me almost 19 years ago. And the question I and I said, boy, I hope so. And that's not good enough. It's not a hope. You can know. Bottom line is the Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. And the Lord Jesus Christ offers that gift from the cross today to you right where you are. And it doesn't take a special prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing like that. It's not a religious thing. It's a matter of the heart. God looks into our heart and he says, you know what? I see your lost condition and I'm willing to save you right where you are. If you're willing to receive him, all it's simply a matter of understanding is this. You know that you're a sinner. You know that the reason why you're on your way to hell is not because of God. It's because of the choices that you made. And then we have a Savior that came. And because of penalty that we have because of our sin is the fact that the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God came and gave us a Savior. And as he reaches his hand out to us today, if you've received him, praise God. Live for him. If you haven't received him, he's willing and ready to receive you right now. What I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. It's not the words of this prayer that will do anything for you. If you just melodically pray, say the prayer, but don't mean it, you may as well not say a word. Don't waste your time. But if you truly want to receive Christ, he's listening to your heart and not the words. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart and your mind. But remember, it's not for me to hear. It's not for anybody else to hear. It's you and God. And he's listening right now, I can promise you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I'm asking you right now, in the best way that I know how, to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, and to save my soul. Lord, I turn from my previous life, and I want to live for you. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for dying for me. Now let me live for you. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.